how's it going everybody? Welcome back to another episode of On The Mix. I am your gracious host, Lindsay, and today I'm presenting to you a story that you probably have never heard about before. We all know Duff McKagan, right? Duff McKagan of the amazing hair metal band from the 80s, 90s, Guns N' Roses. Well, did you know that A, he was from Seattle, Washington? And number two, did you know that before joining Guns N' Roses, he was a part of a punk band, not only with some really interesting people like Greg Gilmore, who would later go into the grunge band Mother Love Bone and then form Pearl Jam, but they only created one album and were around for less than a year, actually maybe a couple of months before they disbanded. And it's a really interesting story. It's not a long story, over time, the band members have kind of forgotten a lot of the detail just because naturally, as you go on in life, you just happen to forget details. And so they remember certain parts, but there's not a lot of information that I could really sink my teeth into this one. I just thought I would share because it's really fascinating. So anyway, the band that Duff McKagan was a part of prior to joining Guns N' Roses, like I said, it was a punk band and this punk band was called The Living. And they formed in the early 80s, and they recorded a couple of songs, seven to be exact, on their album. Now, this was done in 1982, and it was never released, by the way. It was made. It was never released. It was shelved forever until someone happened upon them. Let's get into the story. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm just so excited. The Living consists of vocalist John Conti, bassist Todd Fleischman, Drummer Greg Gilmore, like I mentioned, Greg Gilmore would be in the grunge band Mother Love Bone with Andrew Wood, and then their lead singer, um, Andrew Wood, died. And so then the members, some members of Mother Love Bone, went on to form Pearl Jam with Eddie Vedder and the rest of them. Uh, so Greg Gilmore on drums. And then 17-year-old guitarist Duff McKagan of Seattle, Washington, and he was already quite an established guitar player at the time. He had already been on a couple of singles throughout Seattle where his guitar playing would shine through. And of course, he is just, I would say, one of the best and one of the most underrated uh, instrumentalists, I think, of our time. But so that's the living, right? So Duff remembers the band as saying this. The band was really a tight unit of guys. We had Todd Fleischman on bass, and he could beat up six guys at once. So we had the enforcer. We were really just good friends. When we put out an ad for a drummer, Greg Gilmore answered and came out from Gig Harbor. He opened me up to more prog rock stuff like King Crimson. I went to a King Crimson show with him and took mushrooms, which is highly suggested if you're into mushrooms. Honestly, I was never into King Crimson, but I can imagine that if you were to see them that you would take mushrooms, so I understand that sentiment. So yeah, that's basically the kind of backstory there is that it was Duff and it was Todd, and they put an ad out in their local paper in Seattle for a drummer. Greg Gilmore happened to see this and join in. And then, of course, again, John Conti, who is the vocalist. But The Living... While they didn't have a long lifespan, they actually made a lot of waves in Seattle with the punk scene that was becoming of the time. And The Living actually opened for renowned punk band DOA. Now, I've never listened to any of DOA's music, 
Um, and if my memory serves me, they're from Canada. I believe that's where they're from. DOA is a very well-renowned punk band, especially for the time. So for this little itty-bitty punk band in Seattle to open for them, that really says a lot. In their short time, they opened for DOA. They toured around Seattle and the neighboring communities and things like that. They went into the studio and they recorded one album and then they split just as quickly as it showed a very effervescent of them. And most of the work that The Living did was not released until last year in 2021. So again, they split. <laughs> so they were they didn't even do anything with these recordings until it was found again. Now, Greg Gilmore said it definitely had been consigned to a box of mementos by most of us. We all loved it for sure and thought it was great, but there had never been any serious talk about it turning into a record. Exactly. So it just never really happened that way. And the gist that I kind of got from all of these members um, individually talking about the living after so many years is that they were a young group of guys who at the time, you know, just formed a punk band like probably most kids did who had, you know, heroes like the Misfits or the Dead Kennedys or the Sex Pistols, the Clash, things like that, bands like that, punk bands of that ilk. They came as quickly as they went and... Wait, I got that flipped. They went as quickly as they came. Whatever. You understand what I'm saying? It was very short-lived um, for the time, and I think that's just what it was. And that's all that it was ever meant to be, according to them. They can't imagine the living ever making it really popular in the time. But it's funny that it's now resurfacing, and it's having a new life breathed into it in this new time. I think that's so, so utterly fascinating to me. So yeah, these recordings were found by Greg Gilmore, who kind of stashed them away, and he just kind of forgot about them. The process to actually releasing the album started actually a couple years prior to 2021. It started in 2013, when a friend of the band brought up the idea to release the album with a smaller label in mind. And that was possible because each of them were respectively very well known in their own individual musical groups, again, like Duff McKagan of Guns N' Roses, and Greg Gilmore of Pearl Jam. So it kind of made sense. They had the means and the money and the capacity to release this now with the hype that they could build around it. And it would work. Can you imagine how hard it would have been back in the 80s when they did this if they had actually went through and actually released the album? Who knows if it would have even made the waves, if it would have made the charts, if it would have done any major damage in terms of getting on the top of the charts or on uh, mainstream radio or record sales. Who knows? But now you can put it out there on Spotify and on YouTube and it gets like a million plays overnight. So it honestly, it's so funny how this was done in the 80s, but it's of the time now. Does that make sense? Like it totally needed to happen now. It needed to be released now in the modern times with technology. So fascinating. So the original multi-track masters were digitally transferred and then they were, you know, done up a little bit to make them a bit, you know, pretty sounding because obviously this was done kind of haphazardly, if you will, in the 80s. And so it had to be, you know, kind of gussied up a little bit, if you will. You know, this happened in 2013. Greg Gilmore had the files and then it kind of just never went anywhere yet again until 2021 where Greg was like, oh, yeah, I have those files of the living. Should we like do something about that? Like, I don't know. I just thought that's just so interesting. Uh, so finally, 
In September of 2020, Greg Gilmore and Stone Gossard, Stone Gossard's also of Pearl Jam, uh, the two of them, they relaunched their indie label called Loose Groove Records, and they thought, hey, I have the living on my computer. Can we just release this on our indie record label? And so that's what they did. That's what ended up happening there. Really, really interesting. And it's really cool seeing Stone Gossard work so closely knit to the living because Greg Gilmore, obviously, they're really close friends. I mean, you have to understand, like, Stone Gossard and Greg Gilmore were also part of Mother Love Bone. The two of them were. And so when that broke up, they went to Pearl Jam, um, not knowing what was going to happen. And so they've been through a lot of history together. I just think it's really interesting that the two of them got to sit down. They got to listen to what Greg Gilmore got to do in the 80s with Duff McKagan. I think it was a really, really interesting moment. And Stone Gossard has a lot of praise for the band as a whole. He said this, I was very surprised when Greg sent me music. How was this never released before? But also that somehow the living weren't the legends this record showed them to be. I mean, this is one of the most fully realized punk records to come out of Seattle. It has emotion, lyrical diversity, completely authentic punk aesthetic, and is also very heavy, ambitious, and diverse. Duff writing these songs and then the band delivering with the punch they did is magic. How could this record have sat for so long? Stone, I couldn't agree with you more. I agree. I, I just find it so interesting that they just sat on this for so long. And I guess that just shows that they didn't really consider this maybe their best work or they didn't think that it would hit well with the public or something. And they're crazy. Like, <laughs> I mean, the times were so different compared to the audience that was happening in the 80s in Seattle at the time compared to now and what we've gone through and what we've been through and all that's happened with the music industry. I mean, it's almost like a revital to a re. I can't even say the word revite. I can't even say the words. I'm so... <laughs> It revitalized, there we go, ding, 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 it revitalized the punk genre, especially in the modern age. And it's so really, really cool that this came full circle and now we have it and we get to listen to it now and you can as well, by the way. Um, at the end of this, I'm going to give a little bit of a brief rundown of what I think of the album. So Duff reflects on hearing the living after all these years and thinking back on the times when he was in the band. I don't think I feel nostalgic about it, but it brings me back to a frame of mind. I don't think you can feel nostalgia about rock songs and performances that you were a part of. I happened to write all the lyrics on these songs, which brought me back to a time that was different for me. Facing signing up for the selective service, which is the precursor to the draft that they were threatening to put in there for the war with the Soviet Union, that didn't make sense to me because that would have been a nuclear war. Um, yeah, so by the way, Duff wrote, all of the songs on this album, there are seven tracks, um, and he wrote the lyrics to each of the songs. He also said, The Living was my real first step into writing whole songs and bringing them to a band. It did give me confidence in writing songs because the band did such a good job of making them their own. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I always think of Seattle as the grunge epicenter. Um, obviously, it is the grunge epicenter, like Seattle really embodies grunge to the core of itself. But I really didn't even think that it could hold water with punk music, to be honest. I didn't really consider that it could be also a hole or a place for punk music back in the day to have a homestead. I suppose it makes sense because if grunge 
music is kind of based on punk roots, that it had to come from somewhere. You know, like Kurt Cobain and Nirvana, they were all kind of heavily influenced on not only the classic rock stuff, but also on punk music as well. And so I think Seattle is a really interesting city musically and how diverse it is with the different genres that it comes out with. But also the fact that you have Duff McKagan, who comes from Seattle, he was in a punk band, and then you turn the, the page a few years later on in the late 80s, and he forms a band with Guns N' Roses that is one of the most really well-revered rock hair metal bands of the time, and still is to this day. I mean, it's really, really interesting how this story just kind of came about, and no one even knew about it. No one knew, except for them and maybe the people that saw them back in the day, knew that this even was a thing. I had no idea until they released it. I just really like that there's more music for us to listen to. But now, I wanted to talk to you about what I thought of the album. So I listened to it this morning just to get my head wrapped around exactly what it sounded like and um, what they did with the music and all of that. And I have some thoughts on it. I have some favorite songs of mine. Um, First off, I think that musically, they sound very similar to The Misfits, The Clash, Dead Kennedys, and The Sex Pistols. Um, And this is also what I was thinking. I was thinking how like punk music, my favorite kind of punk music is when it's melodic, when it has a structure, when it has a melody, when it has a rhythm to it. You know, when there's when there's like a core structure to the song, like, for example, the Sex Pistols, each of their songs is very melodic, has a rhythm to it, which I appreciate. It's not just screaming, flailing, just straight in your face, like all over the place. There's no cohesiveness to it at all. While some people like that, for me, I just can't wrap my mind around that because I really, really need that structure and melody to enjoy a song. That's just me personally. Um, And I'm really happy to report that The Living is very similar to that. They had the structure, they had all the chord progressions, they had all of the cohesiveness that I really enjoy in punk music, like the Sex Pistols. And I'm actually really, really happy as well that the songs aren't really long. Uh, That's what I like about punk music in general, is that they're really fast, they cut to the core of you, they cut through you so hard and so fast, and they're meant to be that way. They're, they're punching straight through you with their hardcore, fast-paced music. If punk songs were like four, five, six, seven, eight minutes long, it'd be too overwhelming. It'd be too much sensory overload. But I'm happy that generally punk songs follow like maybe two minutes. I believe the longest song that The Living does on the album is maybe two and a half. Really, really, really awesome. Their songs are short, short and sweet. You can listen to it in under half an hour. The three songs that I happen to think were my favorite on the album is the opener called A Promise, the second song called Two Generation Stand, which is so catchy. That really reminded me of the Sex Pistols. It's so good. And then the third song that I really enjoyed was A Song For You. But to be honest, the entire album is really, really good. Just those three songs in particular stood out to me a little bit more and I would listen to those over again. Now, for Duff being only 17 and being the one to write the lyrics to all of the songs on here, I think it shows that he was a really strong, proficient writer, to be honest. I mean, you know, obviously, punk songs are about government and politics and your parents and rebelling against society and your familial structures and going out and getting drunk and, you know, (laughs) partying with your friends and things like that. So um, that's kind of the overall theme. 
you have to listen to the lyrics. It's really, really interesting how he plays off on certain words and how the vocalist uh, sings. He's a great singer, by the way. I just want to make sure I get his name right. John Conti. He sings really, really well. Duff McKagan on guitar, by the way. Oh, my God. OMG. He is fucking amazing. He is really, really good. Again, he was only 17, by the way. It's not like he was slash or anything, but for a 17-year-old, he can really play the guitar. Yeah, honestly, I, I really, really, really enjoyed it. It was fun. It was a fun little listen. You know, listening to it now with modern ears, I wasn't around in the 80s. I was a 90s baby. But, you know, what would the audience in the crowd have thought about this? I think the people would have actually ate this album up if they had released it in the 80s when they intended it to in 1982. I think so. I think it was of the time. Even so, saying that, it even actually sounds quite modern in terms of punk music because you don't... Honestly, I haven't heard a really good punk band, genuine punk band in some time, at least a modern punk band, which I think we need a bit of a comeback on punk music. But that's what I was saying, that The Living revitalized the punk genre and brought it back into the mainstream, which I'm so happy about. But it sounds quite mainstream, which I'm really pleased about. Even if it does sound of its time, it, it also sounds very modern. So I love the eclectic nature of that. Um, overall, I would say out of 10, I would give this maybe an eight and a half. I think it's really good. I mean, it's no Never Mind the Bollocks by the Sex Pistols, it, you know. It's no London Calling by The Clash. It's no Dead Kennedys. It's no uh, Misfits, right? But forget the fact that it's Duff McKagan <laughs> in the band and just look at the living for what it is. They're a great punk band, or they were anyway. They did an awesome job and they did a great job taking those tracks and vamping them up to modern standards now. So Overall, that's the story of the living, short and sweet, but that's what I wanted to come at you with today. I normally would do a topic like this on my blog, but I thought, you know what, let's just do a podcast about it and give my thoughts on it. So yeah, that as a whole was the living and Duff McKagan's punk band that you probably didn't even know about. I hope you guys learned something today that you hadn't known about before. I will see you guys next Wednesday with another episode of On The Mix. I'll talk to you guys later. Bye, guys. 